A little over 500 years ago, a German man named Martin Luther changed the shape of the church forever. Today we're discussing how Luther's 16th century attempts to reform the church made the Protestant church that we know today. And also, his life probably wouldn't have been a great subject for a gritty HBO Max drama. We'll also talk a little bit about justifying grace and faith. Today on Logistisch, we're talking Luther and Lutheranism. Welcome to Logos-ish. It's just me and Garrett today. We are here recording. We're very excited about this episode. Garrett, how are you doing? We are surviving a strange weather event in Florida. Uh, it was 39 degrees this morning. There was frost outside. And I don't know if anyone has survived the night, but my dogs um, are absolutely thrilled this morning. And it actually feels like weather uh, that I'm used to at this time of year. So. My house is happy. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> We're uh, similar here in rural South Carolina. We are loving this cold weather. It makes it actually feel like Advent. I am a sweater person, and I actually am getting to wear sweaters this week. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're pretty happy too. Yeah, well, let's let's dive right in so we can talk to our guest about the weather and all sorts of things too. <laughs> Our guest today is Reverend Dr. Justin Nickel. He is the Francis and Baxter Went Assistant Professor of Lutheran Studies at Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary of Lenore Rhine. Uh, Dr. Nickel, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, thank you for, for having me. And I do, do I do I get the award for longest title of any <laughs> guest you've had on the podcast? Are we giving are you giving those out yet? Um, you know, you might get fanciest title for okay. sure. Um, there's a lot of really great names in there. Yeah, yeah, the names are amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you're definitely a front runner for longest. Yes, for right, sure, you know, front runner for longest. Good. We got good, a couple good. more weeks to the end of the year, so you know right, we'll probably well. send out whatever uh, award yeah. monies. We'll have to get your, the <laughs> correct spelling of your name for the plaque. Yeah, I'll be. I will be waiting with bated breath for that that <laughs> plaque. Then I'm, I'm I'm sure it's a a top priority for you all. So. <laughs> There's not a whole lot that goes on in Advent for pastors, so you know. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> From what I hear, it's a lot of waiting and preparing. So Ooh. that's that's fine. Definitely Very preparing. Good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Good job, <laughs> Dr. Nickel. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to be where you are and study what you study. Yeah, well, so this is, so I'm actually wrapping up my um, first semester at Southern Seminary. So I'm ordained in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And so I've had calls in that church in congregations, one right outside of Denver, Colorado, another in um, Honeybrook, Pennsylvania, most recently, it was sort of Amish country, just sort of uh, northwest of uh, Philadelphia, you know, you'd sort of be carrying by Amish buggies on the way to church, um, which is an interesting experience. I, um, I, I did uh, my doctoral work at Princeton Theological Seminary from uh, 2013 to 2018. Um, and so that uh, the call in Denver was before that, then call in Pennsylvania was after that for a couple of years, and then I uh, got this gig 
at Southern Seminary, for which I'm so incredibly thankful. And my uh, spouse, small son, and I moved during uh, COVID pandemic, which is not something I would recommend anyone if you can avoid it. Or, or moving into Columbia in the middle of July, also not something I would recommend. Um, but we, we came down here from Pennsylvania this summer, yeah, and um, jumped into the work. That's great. So you're you are truly brand new to South Carolina. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like you've lived in some um, fairly cold places. So you, <laughs> speaking yeah. of weather, you, you're probably delighted by. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. It, like like said, I mean, it, it's nice to and and one well, you too, Sarah. And I'm also a sweater guy, and to <laughs> yeah. have have a little bit of nipping there and like. You know, my 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 wife and I sort of very excitedly tore the tags off our son's winter coat when we were sending him to daycare yesterday. Like, yeah, all right, we get to use it. That's awesome. And so, have you always been uh, Lutheran? I have. I mean, you could. <laughs> yeah. So I'm born into it very much. So I'm a PK. Okay. My. Parents actually met at a Lutheran seminary. My mom's father, uh, may he rest in peace, was a Lutheran pastor. So it's pretty deep in the DNA. Um, I have switched denominations, though. I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, you know, and then in college uh, joined an ELCA campus ministry. And, you know, that sort of set me on my my current track we I mean, if, if we want to talk some of those denominational differences we certainly can that would be helpful at some point if you could just kind of define that a little bit not everyone listening to the podcast has been in the church so that would help just to kind of put a sentence or two to what those terms mean or at least yeah. you know, we're both united methodist and um yeah we're familiar right. with all the flavors of lutheran but yeah <laughs> everybody is and uh also pk stands for pastor's kid if we oh, sorry that... yeah 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 no yeah. it's okay indeed I... <laughs> indeed yeah um i just realized maybe that wasn't obvious to everybody too um yeah. anyway um yeah do you are you comfortable describing yeah, no definitely i mean so the so the I, yeah, so we can start with Missouri Synod. So it's a smaller Lutheran body. It's regarded as more conservative. And that, that certainly makes sense in terms of social issues. So, I mean, for instance, they don't, uh, the Missouri Synod still doesn't ordain women. Boo. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> boo. And, no, no, no. Get loud. Get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this, this is part of the reason I'm not, not in that denomination anymore. So they don't ordain women. They don't ordain uh, LGBTQ folks, which we obviously do both in the ELCA. Um, so the sort of more conservative label makes sense to me in terms of social issues. I take a little offense. Well, not offense, but I, I think more nuance needs to be applied than if we're talking about sort of liberal and conservative doctrinally, um, because that's off, often used as sort of, oh, you know, the to take a swipe at the ELCA that, you know, we're sort of too doctrinally loose or, you know, we're not interested in, you know, our heritage and our, um, you know, and thinking well theologically about our, you know, both our heritage and how to apply that heritage in the modern world and all that. And I, that feels like a caricature of me, I, I'm, to me. I mean, in the same way that I want to, even as I disagree with many of the stances that the Missouri Senate takes, I still want to kind of give the best reading of or the most charitable reading as to why they take those stances. And so I, I don't like the sort of conservative liberal divide with respect to doctrine or thinking about 
the authority of scripture or being faithful members of the lowercase c Catholic Church. Um, you know, I, I would want to claim all of that for the ELCA and say that we can claim all of that with integrity and still ordain women and still ordain LGBTQ folks. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want that to be in either or. That's not a contrast to me. I mean, I think that for me, I, I want the, the sort of robust social witness of the church to flow from the great lowercase c Catholic traditions of the church right. and, the, and the creeds and the confessions and all that. So that, sorry, that, I, I'm meant to simply be explaining the differences between <laughs> the Missouri Synod and the ELCA. Um, and no, I, 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 I've gone on my soapbox here, but, um, but yeah, so the ELCA is the biggest Lutheran church in our biggest Lutheran denomination in the country. Um, it's a merger that sort of began in the early 1990s of, three other Lutheran bodies. And yeah, yeah, that's, and, and then so socially more progressive um, <laughs> with respect to some of the issues we just talked about. So yeah, um, we, we as United Methodists are very familiar with those sorts of tensions. And um, it's are. interesting that I, I've, I guess, because we are surrounded by Lutherans in South Carolina. Um, specifically yeah, man. <laughs> ELCA Lutherans, there's a lot. So many of our friends are Lutherans and to think of them as being like l less orthodox or less uh, creedal or liturgical than someone is, is kind of a funny notion, I guess, yeah. because compared to most of the Methodists in this place, um, I just, all my ELCA friends are, so high liturgy and um, fancy. Church fancy is interesting to hear that perspective that that caricature might exist of certain sides of, yeah. And we could, I could easily get on a soapbox about some stuff in the Methodist church too, but we're here to talk about Lutherans. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for distinguishing that. Um, I keep saying flavors. I don't mean to be flippant. No, 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 flavors. <laughs> Are weird. What do all these weird churchy acronyms stand for? You yeah. Know? <laughs> so speaking of liturgy and yeah. creedal stuff, like what what is significant to you or stands out about the Lutheran Church as a lower KC Catholic tradition? The correct answer would be the sort of robust emphasis on justification by faith through grace apart from works of the law, and that's certainly the case. You know, there, there's this statement that goes along with that, you know, that that's the article on which the church stands or falls. And I, you know, I, I am one of those kind of Lutherans who sort of always wants to lift up justification. But I, you know, on, on the personal side, in terms of my personal piety, um, the Lutheran sacramental theology means a great deal to me. And I mean, we're not the only ones who talk in these terms, but it's the, you know, I mean, thinking of Eucharist, for instance, I mean, that, you know, the fullness of Christ's body joined to the fullness of bread. And, you know, and that the, the, the creaturely elements don't need to be less than what they are to sort of bear the full divine body and blood to us. Um, to, to sort of be thinking of, of the elements in communion along the lines of Chalcedonian Christology, where, you know, they're sort of fully, fully the element and, and fully Christ's body and blood that, my faith sort of withers without the Eucharist. Um, I mean, that, you know, just personally, that, that's one of been that's been the most sort of spiritually challenging things during COVID for me is not to not be able to take Eucharist on a weekly basis. You know, from those sort of sacramental convictions, there's 
the sort of doctrine of God that you can build up out of that, where God is so sort of intimately bound, involved and related to our creatureliness and our creaturely lives without losing God's transcendence. Um, I think that's, that's very powerful. I, or the democratizing of the spiritual life that begins in Luther, but again, is certainly not the only one to speak in these terms. I don't want to talk like that, but you know, the notion of vocation where when done in faith, everything we do can kind of take on a monastic flavor <laughs> where the world, the world is sort of God's theater of activity. And so why not go out and, and, and do, do what you're called to do? I, I love that. So the, the, those are some of the Lutheran greatest hits. One more I'd, I'd like to add that I think is a little less well-known, and that's Luther as sort of both translator of scripture and preacher of scripture and the way he does that. I mean, there's a sort of common knowledge by, you know, Luther's one of his big gifts to the German church and then the church that, have, that sort of falls in in his wake is translating the Bible into the vernacular for the people. And that's that's a wonderful gift in and of itself, but we, we need to go further and sort of talk about what vernacular means to him and how he allows what, what he calls in, in one of in a letter he wrote on translating the language of the marketplace, the street and the home to sort of that language to dictate how he translates. And then that sort of same commitment shows up in his preaching where he'll take the story from scripture and then you can sort of watch him fill in the, the details and the blank spaces with, you know, uh, stuff that a late medieval German peasant would recognize using sort of details from common life as a way to help people get into the biblical narrative. That's so powerful to me. And I think it's such a cool invitation to contemporary preachers about, you know, the sort of freedom and license. Okay. You want to be a traditional Lutheran preacher. Well, <laughs> part of what that means is that you have this, in, this incredible freedom to sort of take your hearers lives and take your, our kind of common life together and use those details to fill in scripture so that people can kind of find their way into it. I, I, I find that incredibly moving and a part of the Lutheran re- legacy well worth picking up today. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's really cool. I think for me, the idea of that narrative preaching style is sort of bubbling up in different different traditions. And I think it's really it's really wonderful to hear that that is the bedrock of of Lutheranism. I know for me and I do a lot of work with a movement called Fresh Expressions, they really take the the stance of when you go out and you share the gospel, you're telling Jesus' story. So all of a sudden they change all the terms and you're telling a story because Jesus was a great storyteller. So make sure you use language and turns of phrase that people that you're talking to would recognize and understand. So people are not going to understand necessarily the word Eucharist, but they can understand the story around the feast of love, right? Or like these dinners where the divine is super present and is with you in that moment. And that's, that's the important thing. So again, translating the gospel into the quote unquote vernacular, I think it's just really awesome. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that it was that deep for Luther. And it's just because it's like surface level, he translated into the vernacular and then box checked. All right. (laughs) Next thing on church history. No, so. right. No, that's right. That's right. Part of what's so powerful, I he's he's just so, and I mean, and I think that this has to have come, you know, from his days as a monk and all the praying the hours and all that, and then also the, you know, the time spent translating. I mean, he's just so comfortable with scripture. It just it sort of feels like it's home. 
you know? And so with that level of comfort, then it's like, okay, I'm here. How, how can I invite people into it? into this yeah i i had never really known luther was so that that was an aspect of luther's um proclamation style and spiritual style if you were explaining martin luther to somebody who didn't know much about lutheranism or martin luther like what were the what were the more salient pieces of luther's was what was going on back then <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> yeah i mean so okay so we can start with time and place right so we're I mean, we're we're talking uh, 16th century Germany, you know. So, uh, like Garrett was saying, I mean, some of the, so some of the the history, <laughs> the, the the history boxes to check off. There's a late medieval Catholic piety, a sort of structure of Catholic piety that I I mean I I think is is creaky. There's this massive edifice that it's not serving people well, but there doesn't seem to be any other option, I think might be one way of putting it. And so Luther comes along and provides another option. Humanism is in the air and and sort of in the in the universities and the salient points for for Luther's and for the the whole Lutheran Reformation is a focus on uh returning to the sources. Um and so you know, go, going back to scripture and Greek and Hebrew. And so you have that going on. Um, I mean, obviously the invention of the printing press plays a huge role in the Lutheran Reformation that they're, you know, Luther's able to write these things. And then for that time, they're able to be widely distributed and, and quickly distributed. Luther is born a minor son. Um, he's the son on whom the family's hopes and fortunes are pinned. Uh, he's sort of the, the star pupil. And yeah, so his father is a minor. Um, by the, the sort of end of Luther's life, his father is, um, I mean, has done well enough to, to sort of rise in the ranks. But nevertheless, you know, Luther is meant to go to school and to eventually become a lawyer and sort of secure the family's the family's financial future. He gets caught in a rainstorm coming home from school, a massive thunderstorm, and he and he thinks he's going to die. So he prays to Saint Anne that if his life is spared, he'll join the mon a monastery. And his life is spared, obviously. So he goes off and joins an Augustinian group, the the most observant Augustinians, and it's there that he sort of has all his struggles, you know, with trying to find uh, a gracious God or the real God, depending on who, which scholar you read, the the accent on sort of whether Luther's main concern is God's judgment or his own idolatry, um, and how much space there might actually be between those two things. But his sort of academic brilliance is recognized, and so he, he gets sent off to go do his doctorate, and then he ends up teaching um, in Wittenberg at the university there. And in the late 15 teens, he starts to discover this sort of doctrine of justification by faith or grace apart from works of the law. And it's from that perspective that, you know, he launches, he writes the 95 Theses, which is this all-out assault on the, the sort of creaky late medieval Catholic piety I was talking about, you know, built on the practices of indulgences, but then twin to that is a, a notion of how God forgives and how humans get gain merit before God. And, and then, you know, eventually gets excommunicated and outlawed by the Catholic Church and the Roman Empire together, um, but is protected by local princes. And he, he teaches and preaches in Wittenberg. Yeah. And um, 
and and sort of launches a whole series of reforms from there. I, I feel like this is sort of the dry history part of, of things. <laughs> it sounds like a a bad boy, uh, you know, joining the most stringent of the. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, not not necessarily wanting to rebel, but you know, sort of. Uh, asks too many questions and knocks the house of cards over if it were and then gets kicked out so and he becomes sounds like we can make this into like a good hbo max you know <laughs> definitely game no thing. definitely like so the freedom of the christian which he writes in 1520 and it's sort of that's one of the kind of landmark lutheran texts there's a letter in the the intro it's addressed and dedicated to pope leo the 10 there's nothing intentional at least early on and you know well, I want to start my own church kind of thing. It's, I mean, he's, he's setting out to reform the Catholic church and, and then a lot happens that, sort of <laughs> yeah, there you go. Here's, here's our, here's our 10, our 10 part uh, HBO max series, you know, we should uh, definitely get the rights to that um, and start working on that. We can sell that alongside our uh, really great mustache-themed T-shirt, Sarah. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, yeah, why hasn't there been a – has there been a dramatization of Luther's life? I'm sure there is somewhere, but – Yeah, yeah. Like so could... there, like, there's a movie with – I always get Ralph and Joseph Fiennes confused if they are different people, but – Whichever, whichever one of those guys is like, I'll, I'll just play every like major white dude in history. Like it's the same guy who played Shakespeare at some point. Um, I honestly don't know. Yeah, no, but I, I just, I, I appreciate the guy's ego strength, you know, like, oh, Shakespeare. Yeah, cool. Luther. Yeah, I'll play him too. Um, but there's a movie with him as Luther and there, there've been plays and stuff, but, but no, this is like, we we can do the gritty reboot yes. of the Lutheran Reformation, yeah. right? right? I'm sure Netflix would want to pick it up too. You know, yeah, trying to get a little grittier with their things. Yeah, right, right. I don't know if we can get Wesley gritty. Um, okay, there was the, he had his whole scandal in Savannah, but you know, uh, I don't know too much more about that. <laughs> so you know, because he uh, knocked over the House of Cards, right. Uh, one of the things was that he appealed to split the church along generational lines. Could you talk a little bit more on that, like why that would be sort of significant? I think it would. I think it's relatable to us today, especially with uh, how uh, younger generations are viewing the world and we're sort of inheriting um, what what has been said before us. So I, I kind of see some parallels or maybe i'm just looking into it and trying to graph something on there already so good i just want to make sure i understand your your question so you so are are you talking about like i mean so his appeal to younger people or is that the case i i have no idea um i imagine he was divisive in in many ways but um... yeah yeah i mean i think so i guess i haven't quite heard it described that way necessarily um, as, as, you know, as a sort of younger, older split. I mean, there was sort of a proto-Germanic versus uh, Roman imposition uh, divide that you could, you could make. I mean, although there are, you know, certain, I mean, like, so like Bavaria in Germany is still very Catholic. And so mm-hmm. there's sort of a Northern Southern thing that happened. Um, but I think, I mean, one of the, one of the things, if Garrett, if I might go to a question behind the question, um, yeah. if that's okay. I, 
I mean, I, I think one of the things that pops up again and again and again for Luther is the concern for Christian conscience and the way that, I mean, one of the ways he sees the sort of the Roman Catholic, and, and that, that's anachronistic to talk about the Roman Catholic, so that won't come to the Council of Trent way later in the 16th century, but regardless, I'm using it just to sort of shorthand here. Um, you know, the, that system of piety with the way humans get their own merit and confession, contrition and absolution and all that is that it's failing people's consciences um, and it's never given that, never giving them the sort of certainty of God's mercy and God's grace. The door is always sort of left a little bit open as to whether you've done enough. And while we might not be tortured by those same questions as Luther was, the, the concern for the souls um, and for persons and for whether, whether the way we talk about the gospel and enact the gospel um, is actually getting through to people such that it can kind of provide comfort, can provide some sense of certainty of, in God's grace and care. I mean, I think, I think that's a very live, I mean, I think that's probably always a live question, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether the sort of forms that communicate those things, it's so easy to worship the forms, right? Rather than the God who comes to us through them. And so to always sort of be alive and attentive to, to whether those things, whether those forms are communicating God's grace to people. Yeah, I think that that was probably what I was getting at. Like he was, of course, divisive. and yeah, Oh, yeah. You yeah. sort of see that in his HBO Max reboot. Of, like, <laughs> right, right, um, right. But yeah, uh, I guess that he was speaking to, to what was lacking in people's lives, you know, like that certainty um, of God's you know, love and grace in their lives rather than making sure your posture is great or like you have to go to these certain feasts and rituals and liturgies. Um, otherwise, you won't gain favor from God. Yeah. I guess that for me, I always thought of Luther as like one of the first big people in history to bring sort of humans a little closer to God, sort of getting them out of their own heads and opening up their hearts a little bit. So oh, uh, yeah, that's sort of what I saw. No, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's just one of the places you see him do exactly what you're talking about, Garrett, is like the biblical notion of faith that he recaptures. A, a popular notion of faith in his days, it's, it's just sort of facts. You just kind of know the facts about, about Jesus's life as attested to in scripture. And then that so that's sort of your faith. I mean, can you talk about like the birth of the Virgin Mary and, you know, crucified under Pontius Pilate and all that. And then that faith then later gets infused with love. Faith for Luther's, you know, it's like you said, I mean, it's both head and heart knowledge. It's this sort of daring trust that not just that Jesus came and did all these things, but, you know, Jesus came and did all these things for us, for humanity. And that, you know, we're able to put our trust in these things in Jesus because of that. He'll often sort of talk about what faith is and then say, you know, but only we can talk about it, but you kind of have to experience this, you know, the mm -hmm. <laughs> experience has to teach this. Uh, you know, there's a, a great little Lutheran faith, you know, that experience is the school of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, yeah, good. My, my new Methodist friends like that, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That Christian faith is this lived 
thing. Um, it's not, you, you said it just right, I think. Um, what are your hopes for the Lutheran Church going forward? That's a great question. Well, I, let me start with... Um, if it's not, that's fine, too. If you can... <laughs> no, no, no. No, well, I just, I want to I wanna talk about, I want to first say that I find great hope for at least my Lutheran denomination and the students that I'm teaching. The students who are coming to be prepared as pastors, I'm moved by their dedication, um, by their commitment. It's so hard to fathom, but I mean, you... <laughs> You know, we, we all hear the stories of, you know, a generation ago, how prestigious the pastor it was. Um, and, you know, and that's socially not the case anymore, right? I mean, that's, you all, I'm not saying anything you don't know, but, you know, we're not in Christendom anymore. And so it's a weird call. You know, it's a weird way to spend spend your life and you're, you're incurring difficulties that you could avoid and that people are still showing up, still answering the Spirit's call, still invested in the work. I just, I, I'm... I'm, I'm so grateful for for these younger pastors. So in addition to that, I mean, I think one of my hopes, and, and this gets back to some of the er, earlier conversations, is I don't, I think there can be this tendency at least that I think is probably true in mainline Protestantism. You, you t- tell me if this is true in the UMC or not, where you can either kind of be lowercase o orthodox and worried about preserving that history and um, that heritage, or you can be socially progressive. You kind of have to make a choice, and I, that's a false choice to me. Um, it's a false binary. I don't like it. And my deepest hope is that we can sort of knit those two things together again. And I, you know, I mean, I, I guess in, in this way, I'm sort of spiritually and intellectually greedy. I want it all. Um, I mean, I want the creeds and the confessions and liturgy and robust social witness. Bringing those two things together again, I think would be, that. that's one hope I have. This is going to sound sort of saccharine, but I, I, I hope in as divisive as these sort of times are socially, I, I hope we can sort of learn to talk to one another again across difference and be in communion with one another across difference and, you know, be able to sort of speak honestly to one another and maybe speak tough words to one another, but have that not fracture our communions. Our our big sexuality vote in the ELCA was in 2010, you know, and then we, of course, had splinter denominations and all that sort of stuff. And that the splintering of our lives together because of those issues. There's part of me that wonders if that's the greater sin, actually. (laughs) So I'm I'm getting rambling now, but uh, communion, I mean, maintaining communion, I guess those are some hopes. Yeah, that was, um, that was a a nice, that was a good sermon. I want (laughs) to, I mean, really and truly, you're talking to your people, Dr. Nicole. Yeah, yeah, good. Conversation quite a bit about, I I mean, there is a false dichotomy in the um, Methodist church too. I I think it's been kind of phrased as either you're progressive or you're orthodox. And it it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to uh, John nor I, and it makes us really grumpy because we're both pretty orthodox, very creedal, very, (laughs) um, you know, lower C Catholic. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think your vision for uh, reunification, for, uh, for, uh, connection, for communion, for, uh, yeah, is, um, I don't know, that, that would be great if we could have that reformation, uh, so, I mean, so we need to, my, I don't know, my sense is that 
there's a lot of folk out there hungering for both of those things. So, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we need to do is sort of across denominations and is, I mean, we need to keep talking with one another and mm-hmm. I mean, and then figuring out how, I mean, how to make these, these convictions more concrete with and among each other. Maybe that's the sequel, Garrett. I don't know. That's, <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. I think that I could definitely go, I could see this uh, turning into a multi-series uh, thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I always tell folks that I'm in conversation with that we're not monolithic, you know, we're not just one issue that doesn't make up a person. And we all have differences of opinions, both that are deep core convictions and others that are just sort of surface level and flippant. And um, they all exist in one person. And, you know, like the hard thing is scripture and Jesus and God calls us to accept them fully for who they are. Um, and it doesn't give us sort of like the 10, you know, it doesn't give us a 95 thesis on how to sort of work that out. But, you know, that's the mystery and the tension. And I think the sort of the the hope in it all is that um, there's a God that's actively in our lives, bringing us all together. And there's growing pains in that. So, yeah, I totally agree that you know, across, across the board, you know, interdenominationally, uh, we just need to have these conversations with one another and accept one another's flavors for what they are, because then it turns into like a really robust love feast, at least in my eyes. That's what, how I would call it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of, that's one of the really fun things about teaching where I do is it's at this point, a smaller seminary. I mean, it's pretty ecumenical. You know, I, I mean, I taught an intro theology course this semester, and so I had, I had my ELCA Lutherans, of course, but I mean, we have Baptists, Methodists, AME folks, and yeah, it, it's a very, it's a rich conversation, and you know, what I would tell the students, I mean, I, at the end of this, you should know better why you are, why you find yourself in that tradition, you know, and you can give an account of that to yourself and to one and to others, um, you know, so it's sort of like, well, all right, let's, let's make you the best Methodist that we can and let's make you the best Lutheran that we can and sort of, yeah, exist with one another fruitfully, I think was your, your word, Garrett. So I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our very first podcast was with our friend, uh, Shannon Mullen, who's an ELCA pastor okay. um, who writes a, or who's very interested in atonement theory. Uh, okay. Specifically debunking bad ato- or, or unpacking atonement theories that um, he considers to be harmful. But one of the, the best parts about the conversation was about how um, how Methodists benefit from our Lutheran friends understanding of justification and that sort of grace, because we have that too, but we also have sanctification and sanctifying grace afterwards. Um, and uh, one of our favorite things to do when we get together with our Lutheran friends is to argue about sanctification and spiritual life. Yeah, I, these conversations are our our favorite to have. So (laughs) well, I guess we should wrap up uh, here. This has been really delightful. I really hope you'll come back and speak to us again. Um, I I would absolutely love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been, it's just, it's been a joy to speak with you both. And I I hope it's the the first of many. Yes. Yes. And, and John was very bummed that he missed this. uh, I guess I shouldn't say for a funeral. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's, not bu- 
It's not that. Okay. All right. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> oh, no. That's staying in there for all of the, the weird things that I've said that have stayed in. <laughs> I'll just say it. People are very inconsiderate about when they choose to die. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? We got a podcast to do, people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> gosh. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly going to hell. Um, at yeah. the, <laughs> I'll meet you there. <laughs> um, so at the end of each podcast, since we started this during the pandemic, which is yeah. a real long, bleak midwinter um uh we we ask um we ask each other at the end of each podcast like what is giving you life right now what's bringing you joy in the midst of what is pretty chaotic times still um so you can answer first or garrett or yeah i i, I can go if only because so, awesome. so i'm in the midst of grading finals right now and i like so with the assignments i mean they're yes they have to do some sort of standard paper writing but also you know, I want them to think about what this, what all of this means for preaching or for, you know, developing adult ed curriculums and all that. And like, I, I teach a class on Lutheran polity and leadership. It's for seniors who are getting ready to go out on call, um, into their first calls. And their, their final was uh, writing a curriculum for adults on spiritual disciplines. And I was grading these yesterday and I just felt like I, I just received like five wonderful sermons from these students that was just like, it was just so lovely. You know, at, at certain points in the curriculum, I just sort of stopped and did the spiritual disciplines that they were describing because they were describing them in such sort of winsome and inviting ways. And it's like, yeah, I could, I could use some God time right now. That's one of the really wonderful things about being a seminary professor is you get preached to by your students and you get taught by your students. And I, I just had such a wonderful day with that yesterday that it was, it was not, and you know, like grace, it was a surprise, like all things gracious, it was a surprise. Um, so yeah, yeah. That, that's that's what wonderful. I yeah. I like that. If there are any particularly good ones you want to send our way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I of, of <laughs> course would have to get, let me, let me get student permission. I get some but, permission, um, but uh, yeah, I could also use a little God time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they're just, man, this is wonderful, you know. That's really cool. Garrett, what about you? What's bringing you life right now? Oh, boy. Uh, well, um, I would have to say, um, you know, as strange of, as this Thanksgiving was, I'm grateful for, you know, just how it happened. Laurel and I both stayed home. We made like super duper fancy food since we didn't have to pick, uh, cook for picky eaters. Um, but more so that we still got to connect with family too. So, um, you know, sort of taking my spiritual discipline to step back and not take things for granted. Uh, I was just really thankful for the ability to talk to people um, over great distances instantaneously and still feel connected uh, in this time of isolation and quarantine and COVID. Um, it wasn't the same, but I can definitely appreciate that. Um, and so that's why I was, that gave me life. It kind of made me stop and think, it's like, you know, it's a little thing, but this was impossible like 20 years ago in the same way, so. Very true. Garrett, can I ask what sort of fancy food you made? <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. So, um, we did, uh, Cornish game hens since it's just the two of us and we put them in, um, uh, a sous vide sort of bin. So it's sort of like one of those water, water circulator. Um, and then we did of course like regular stuffing and gravy. 
but Laurel made this incredible pumpkin pie cake thing. Um, it's uh, from her French patisserie uh, cookbook. Um, and it's like, it took like four hours to make and had macarons on the top of it. And it was the most delicious cake pumpkin pie that I've ever had. So that sounds um, incredible. Super fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I probably will have to post that on our uh, logos-ish um, uh, Instagram. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and post that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, John and I were supposed to be at um, SBL this week in Boston. Um, it was going to be both of our first times. Uh, so we're watching on John's phone instead of eating lobster rolls for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, it's been kind of invigorating and a good reminder that I am not as clever as I think I am, but that I am really in this life for something I love because I, gosh, I love religion. <laughs> such a dork. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's my thing that's bringing me joy this week. So I guess, uh, I guess that's it, you guys. This has, uh, been another episode of Logosish. And, uh, if you have any questions or want to send us uh, emails or uh, accolades, no more <laughs> critiques, whatever. Um, our email is logosishpod at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like, download, share this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Dr. Nickel, thank you for being here with us. And um, yeah, I don't, I, John all. usually closes these. I don't know how it's. Should I yeah, if people want to find you or follow you, are there oh, uh, yes. ways yes. to. Uh, that yeah i'm not i don't have much on the social media presence um if if you go to the ltss website there's my contact info and um and all that so okay all right (laughs) thanks for remembering that garrett all right okay uh go in peace may the peace of christ go with you (laughs) also with you guys, this is Sarah. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Logosish. This week's music was by Audionomics.com. If you have questions or thoughts, or if you'd like to have your music featured on the podcast, or be a guest, or suggest a topic for us to cover, send us an email to logosishpod at gmail.com. L-O-G-O-S-I-S-H pod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at logosishpod. Please like and subscribe and review wherever you have downloaded this podcast. That helps us to get the word out about all the stuff we're working on. And we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Have a great week, guys.